Well, good morning. We're glad you're here this morning with us uh, to praise and worship God. A um, couple announcements. Just remember, trunk or treat next week, and then we have a turkey bowl and a church dinner. And I would just encourage you to take advantage of that. There are sign-up sheets out in the lobby. Take advantage of that so we can spend some time fellowshipping together and uh, getting to know folks we may not know and uh, just enjoying uh, beautiful weather this time of the year. So, um, And as we are still in Acts, working our way through, um, kind of bridge the gap and get us ready for uh, what Jeff's bringing this morning. Acts 27, 1 through 12. When it was decided that we should sail for Italy, they delivered Paul and some of the other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius. Embarking in a ship of, uh, in a ship of Adramidium, which was about to sail to the ports along the coast of Asia, we put to sea, accompanied by Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica. The next day we put in at Sidon, and Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him leave to go to his friends and to be cared for. Putting out to sea from there, we sailed under the lee of Cyprus because the winds were against us. And when we had sailed across the open sea along the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra in Lycia. There the centurion found a ship of Alexandria sailing for Italy and put us on board. We sailed slowly for a number of days and arrived with difficulty off Snidus. And as the wind did not allow us to go farther, we sailed under the lee of Crete off Salmon. Coasting along it with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens, near which was the city of Lycia. Since much time had passed and the voyage was now dangerous because even the fast was already over, Paul advised them, saying, Sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. But the centurion paid more attention to the pilot and to the owner of the ship than to what Paul said. Because the harbor was not suitable to spend the winter in, the majority decided to put out to sea from there, and on the chance that somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, facing both southwest and northwest, and spend the winter there. Let's pray this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you on a beautiful day that we can come and worship you, gather together with brothers and sisters, and uh, just enjoy uh, some time focused on you. Uh, we pray that you would guide our thoughts and our attention this morning. I pray that you'd guide Jeff as he brings the word to us. And I'm just reminded this morning, Father, that uh, as we are in a, a pleasant environment here and as we are free to worship and to, uh, to praise you and to worship you, that uh, our brothers and sisters around the world are not necessarily in the same position. And just thinking specifically about brothers and sisters in Afghanistan and uh, in the Middle East that are uh, under severe persecution. We just pray for them this morning. Uh, we pray for all of your body uh, that is gathered today to worship you. And we pray for your uh, protection and your blessing on them. We pray that our ears would be open, that our hearts would be uh, prepared this morning, and uh, that our worship would be pleasing to you. We thank you again for our time together this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good morning, church. What a blessing it is to sing songs of praise this morning, isn't it? Acts chapter 27, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and flip there with me. If you need a Bible, there should be a black hardback ESV somewhere near you there in the pew. And Lord willing, today and next Sunday, we will wrap up the book of Acts we've been in since January. I know, you're sad, you're sad uh, by this. 
But uh, don't worry, there's a lot of other good books in the Bible that we can go through, okay? So uh, we, will, uh, we will just keep on trugging along. Uh, today we find Paul, as you uh, heard read, on his way to Rome. He, uh, as you might remember, has petitioned to be before the emperor, and that has now begun his journey. And they're beginning this journey by boat through one of the worst seasons that you could go through, which would have been around November. And uh, as they get into this cold, stormy season, you see that he is encountered with a storm in life. I've called this message this morning, The Tempest, The Trials, and Today. And so um, we sang a song just a moment ago, a powerful song written many, many years ago. It is well with my soul. Many of you know the story behind that. If you don't, I'd love to share it with you. A guy by the name of Horatio Spafford, who was a successful lawyer and businessman in Chicago, had a lovely family, a wife, Anna, and five children. However, they were not strangers to tears and tragedy in their life. Their young son died of pneumonia in 1871, And in that same year, they lost much of their business to the great Chicago fire, yet God is merciful and helped them rebuild. And on November the 21st of 1873, a few years later, a French ocean liner was crossing the Atlantic from the U.S. to Europe with 313 passengers on board. Among them was Miss Spafford, his wife, and their four daughters. Mr. Spafford had planned to go with his family, but found it necessary to stay in Chicago for a few more days to help solve an unexpected business problem, and he told his wife that he would join her and the children there in a few days. About four days into the journey crossing the Atlantic, the ship collided with a powerful Scottish ship that was iron-holed. Suddenly, all of those on board were in grave danger. Anna, the wife, hurriedly brought her four children onto the deck. She knelt there with Annie, Margaret, Lee, Bessie, and Tanetta, and prayed that God would spare them if it would be his will. And she prayed that God would be with them in whatever he chose. Within about 12 minutes, the ship slipped beneath the dark waters of the Atlantic, taking with it 226 of the passengers, including all four daughters. A sailor was rowing by a small boat and spotted a woman floating on a piece of wreckage. It was Anna, and she was still alive. He pulled her onto the boat, and then they got into a larger vessel and arrived in Wells nine days later. From there, she wired her husband a message. Saved alone, what shall I do? It's recorded that Mr. Spafford later framed that telegram and put it in his office. Mr. Spafford, he booked passage on the next available ship and left to join his grieving wife. With with about four days into the journey, the captain called Mr. Spafford to the cabin and said, here's the place where your children drowned and lost their life. It says that on that journey, he wrote the song, It Is Well With My Soul. When peace, like a river, attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll. Whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. I can't help but hear that story and just 
get caught up in the emotion of the fact that we face storms in this life that we have no control over. That in any moment, in any day, the winds of our lives can change and storms can come blowing in. Difficult tempest of life. How can someone write such a song in such a difficult storm and tragedy of life? Philippians 4, 7, And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding shall keep your hearts, your minds, through Christ Jesus. There is certainly a peace, a steadfast hope, an anchor, a ballast of assurance that allows us to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Let's pray, and then let's jump in to Scripture. Gracious Father, we come to you. Father, we love you. We thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you that we are gathered together as a body of believers, saved, sanctified, and molded day by day into your image. Father, we live in a world that is full of tempests and trials and tragedies, and you are faithful and you are good. And you are loving, and you are caring, and you are gracious, and you are forgiving. And we honor you today. We worship you today. As a body of believers, Lord, that our hearts would be laid bare before you in appreciation that you have gone before us, that you have wiped us clean from the sin that separates you and us by the work of your Son, Jesus Christ so that we can say, it is well. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask, Father, that you would speak to us this morning, that you would powerfully impact our hearts, that you would mold us and you would shape us into your very image, that we would allow your word to shave off the rough areas of our life. Father, we thank you for the body of believers. We thank you that we're not alone. We thank you that you are here in our presence and that you indwell our hearts with the presence of your spirit. In Christ's name, amen. Now, I've got to get it together, okay? I can't sit up here and cry the whole time that we do this. Christ is our assurance in the tempest of life. That's the first thing I want you to see, and we're going to jump back in where, where Jonas left off. What a great sport. I said, here's a difficult section of scripture. Here's a bunch of big names. I'm going to let you read it this morning because I don't want to. All right. Verse 13, now when the south wind blew gently, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor and sailed along Crete, close to the shore. But soon a tempest wind called a nor'easter struck down from the land. And when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along. Running under the lee of a small island called Clauda, we managed with difficulty to secure the ship's boat. After hoisting it up, they used supports to undergird the ship. Then, fearing that we would run aground on the Sirtis, they lowered the gear, and thus they were driven along. Since we were violently storm-tossed, they began the next day to jettison the cargo. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest lay on us, all hope of being saved was at last abandoned. Let's stop right there. All hope of being saved was abandoned. 
many days into this journey, they are met with a wind, they're met with a storm, and they go under the darkness of clouds for days and days and days. They have no control over their trajectory. They can't, they can't use the stars and the moon to figure out their path any longer, and they are doing everything possible to get control in an uncontrollable situation. They're throwing things overboard. They're jettisoning the ship. They're, they're laying everything they can out. And yet, they begin to lose all hope of being saved. As we sang, Christ is the assurance that we have. There is an assurance in the tempest of life, and it is Christ and Christ alone. The ballast guarantees that our salvation cannot be capsized that there is nothing that we can do to interrupt the salvation that God has for us, that we are not able to maintain our path because of our good works, but we are able because of what Christ has done for us. That when life throws us a storm, we have one thing that we can count on, and that is Jesus Christ and what he has done on our behalf. And so our faithfulness, our sincerity, our consistency, our mood, our performance— the fact that we signed a card or we walked an aisle are not the things that we hold to when the storm comes. We hold to the fact that Jesus Christ, who was God in the flesh, hung on a cross in our place so that we could have life and have it everlasting. And though there are storms in life, there is nothing that can separate us from the love of the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? Hebrews says it this way in 6, 19, 20. We have the sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that, it, that enters into the inner place behind the curtain, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. We have a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul because we have a forerunner who has gone before us. Jesus Christ has gone before us, and he has control of our right now, and our eternity. Because he is there, interceding for us. The work of the cross is a sure and steady anchor for the soul. It says that they were losing hope of their salvation. I know the saying says that you're either about to go into a storm, you're in a storm, or you're coming out of a storm, and I want you to understand that there is a sure and steady anchor that you cannot lose your salvation if you are in Christ Jesus because of the work he's done on your behalf. You didn't do anything to earn it or deserve it, and he holds you, and he holds you fast. The first sub-point I want you to see is Christ is in control when our life is out of control. As I said there, after hoisting up, they used supports to undergird the ship. Then, fearing that they would run aground on the surface, they lowered the gear, and thus they were driven along. Since they were violently storm-tossed, they began the next day to jettison the cargo. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. As you see, as each day goes on, they begin to do something else and something else and something else. Well, what, what should we do now? What should we do now? And eventually, when we find ourselves in storms, we begin to do things frantically. Well, well frantically, let's just start throwing things overboard. They're trying to raise the hull of the ship. I think that's what it's called. They're trying to raise that so that they don't run aground. And so they're trying to lessen the weight. What, what do we need to do? When you find yourself in a storm, you find yourself trying to grip on to control. What can I control? And as we go through the storms of life, we hold on to things that we think we can control, but control 
in case you haven't picked up on this in the last two years, is an illusion. Another way to say that is, is when I was learning how to drive, I may have been behind the steering wheel with two pedals, but control was an illusion, right? You may or may not know this, but I had the, uh, I had the pleasure of being a student at Bradley High School, not far from here, and wrecking in driver's ed. I had the pleasure of doing that in front of the entire student body. Um, as the coach told me to go ahead and park the car in that old 80-something model Pontiac I think I was in, I got a little confused on which pedal to push, and uh, I gassed it and grasped it, as someone would say, jumped the curb, hit a post, and then kind of slid to a stop. And there was a young man sitting next to me who was also a student who had the extra brake that never hit it, not one time. <laughs> um, control is an illusion. Oftentimes we are in a vehicle of life and we think we know what we're doing and sometimes we hit the wrong pedal. And we lose control. They did everything they could to regain control of the situation and they could not get it back. But God was in control. He always is. God was in control. The storm did not take God by surprise on Paul's journey to Rome. In fact, I think it was God's plan for that ship to drift 476 miles off course to an island called Malta so that there would be people there who could hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Has it ever dawned on you that the storm in your life might be an opportunity to redirect your path so that his glory may be seen in someone's life you would have never impacted had you not gone through it? Jesus, he encountered storms while he was here on earth, physical storms. Mark 4, 35 through 41 says this, On that day when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side and leaving the crowd. They took him with them in the boat just as he was, and other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on a cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? And he awoke, and he rebuked the wind and the sea. Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Why are you, why have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the seas obey him? God's sovereignty allows difficulties and trials to enter our life. And he does so with a purpose. He does so so that we'll recognize that he is in control and that we are not. Danny Aiken said this, I've shared it with you before, we should not be alarmed by surprises in our lives. There are divinely ordained moments whereby God is working in the everyday circumstances of our lives to reveal who he is, who we are, and who we need. Oftentimes, we would not realize how desperately needy we are for a Savior had it not been the storm that has come into our life. Who he is. He is God. And he is in complete control. Who are we? We are hopeless and we are dependent. 
We are in need of a Savior. Who we need is Christ in the midst of the storms of life. B, Christ is in control when we feel abandoned and alone. The unfortunate thing about the storms of life, the tempest of life, is that we often feel alone. I can't imagine Mr. Spafford as he was on the ship by himself crossing the Atlantic to go meet his wife. How lonely he must have felt. In Matthew 14, we have another recording of a storm, verses 22 through 33. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on a mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way off from land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. Verse 26. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it's you, command me to come out on the water. He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, You of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Peter gets out of the boat. And when he lost, and when he lost sight of Christ, he began to look at the winds, he began to look at the waves, and he felt all alone and began to sink. Oftentimes in the storms of our life, we begin to take our focus off of Christ and we begin to look at ourselves and the situation we're in and we feel all alone. And our only hope is to yell, Christ, save me. You're my only hope in the midst of a storm. See, God is in control of the storm and Christ is with us in the storm. This does not mean that every storm will pass by and you will be saved from all its effects. The promise is not that all storms of our life will end soon. The Bible does not guarantee this, nor does the example of Jesus and his followers show this. The promise is that Christ is in control of the chaos. This is our assurance. The assurance is that through God's sovereign plan, he allowed his son to go through the worst storm of all, to be nailed to a cross. God sovereignly allowed his son to go through the worst storm of all, being pierced for our transgressions. God allowed his son to go through the worst storm of all so that he could experience the grief to sweat drops of blood and to do it all in obedience to the Father to ransom many. The beautiful part is, is that though we find ourselves sometimes in the darkest of nights, in the darkest of storms, there is a light, and the light is Christ. He is our only hope, our only assurance in this life. Second thing we see is Christ is our authority in the trials of life. As the story continues, let's read there verse 21. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete and incurred the this injury and loss. Yet now I urge you to take heart, 
For there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of God, to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. But we must run aground on some island. Paul puts all authority into the word of God. Men, we might be in a storm. We might be going through this. The trial is, is that we need to hold on to God's word as the authority in the midst of this storm. The tempest in life often lead to the trials of life. Hey, James says it this way, James 1, 2 through 8, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. As James writes this, he says, Look, we need to count it joy when we face trials of many kinds because it will produce in us a steadfast faith. We should ask for wisdom. We should ask for God's word, for his authority to be the thing that we cling to in the midst of a trial. The thing is, is that tempests are opportunities for our faith to grow in our assurance of Christ. When the storms come, the only thing that we have assurance in is that Christ is good. That Christ has done what needs to be done on the cross. That is our assurance. But when trials come, when we have to make decisions in the midst of the storm, there are opportunities for our faith to grow in the authority of Christ. To grow in leaning on his word. Be Trials test our faith and expose our hearts. James says it this way. Let me read it again, 6 through 8. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. Unstable in all of his ways. A person who is unstable is one who wants the Word of God, but doesn't want to follow the Word of God. Someone who is unstable and double-minded in all his ways longs for the wisdom of God, but won't apply the wisdom of God. If you're not established in the Word of God being the absolute truth and an absolute authority in your life, then you will quickly be tossed back and forth between feelings and emotions, between morals and immorals, between what is true and what is false. Many who call themselves believers today find themselves in the trials of life and their faith is not steadfast because they've given in to emotions. They've given in to immorality. They've given in to false truths. Ephesians 4, 11 through 16, Paul says it this way. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry for building up the body of Christ until we attain the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Let me stop right there. Church, as we gather today, we gather as a body of believers who 
God has assembled that we would build one another up into a knowledge of Jesus Christ so that we are helping one another into a unity as a body. So it is my job to equip, and it is your job to do the ministry. And so this, this beautiful connection that we have is that we begin to be a body that builds one another up in the knowledge of Christ so that his authority, his word, begins to shape every decision we make in the trials of life. Let's keep going. Verse 14. So that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth and love, We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Each part of the body needs to be working properly. It's individual responsibility with a corporate responsibility. We work together in the building up. So, we won't be children. The word children there is figurative, but it means unlearned, unenlightened, or just simple. Listen, you need to grow up in the word of the Lord. You need to grow up in your understanding of the knowledge of Christ. You need to grow up in your application of that, in the wisdom of that, and not be someone who is tossed back and forth like, I know what God's word says, but the world says this. And we begin to do this in such a way that we are like children, not growing up, not maturing in the faith. Children have no idea what is dangerous and what is not dangerous. Have you noticed this? I mean, they will play with Legos in the middle of the road if you let them. It's a good spot. Like, it's really, you know, it's flat right here. I can build a Lego set right here. And as adults, we're like, no. Wisdom, wisdom tells us that's not a good place to play with Legos. Let's not play with Legos in the middle of the road. How many Christians think it's okay to play with sin? They're like children. Well, I just don't really see the danger in it. I I mean, I think it's okay. It looks like a good spot for me. It really kind of, you know, meets my emotions where I am, what I feel like is good. They, They begin to say things where they are tossed to and fro, back and forth, because there is an authority that is over their life, but yet they reject it. And they're not growing up in the Lord. Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 3. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh. As infants in Christ, I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you're not yet ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? The church is to grow up in Christ. And through trials, we grow through trials of choosing the authority of God's word. Paul says, men, this is the word of the Lord, and I believe it, and I'm going to live it. Church, if you come to that point in your life where you're like, this is the word of the Lord, I'm going to read it, I'm going to know it, I'm going to believe it, and I'm not going to be immature anymore. I want to grow in it. I want to grow in my knowledge of Christ. Does your life display someone who is tossed back and forth between flesh and faith? Or does your life display somebody that even in the trials of life, you choose the authority of God's word to stand on? 
see trials reveal a genuine faith or an insincere faith. It reveals a sincere faith or an insincere faith. Let's keep reading verse 27. When the 14th night had come, the 14th night, what a long storm. They've been in a storm being driven 400 and something miles off course for half a month. As we were being driven across the Adriatic Sea about midnight, the sailors suspected they were nearing land. So they took a sounding and found 20 fathoms. A little farther on, they took a sounding and again found 15 fathoms. And fearing that, that we might run on the rocks, they let down four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. It's complete darkness. Verse 30, And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship, they had lowered a ship's boat into the sea under the pretense of laying out anchors from the bow. Paul said the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and let it go. You catch what's going on there? It's been a long time. A lot of times when the storm just keeps raging and keeps raging and keeps raging and we don't want to rest in God's word as the authority of our life, we try to jump ship. And these men try to jump ship under the pretense of doing what they're supposed to be doing. Under pretense. How many, how many people, how many Christians want to look like they're following God's word but are doing it under pretense so that they can really do what they want to do anyways. The sailors at one point got to, the, got to this and they said, you know what, we understand what God's word says. We understand that Paul told us about this angel and that we're supposed to stay on the boat. But you know what's best for me? What's best for me is for me to just do what's best for me and I'm just going to get off the boat. At some point... In our, in our working through the storms, the tempest of life, the trials of life, there's a, there's a temptation there to jump ship on our faith and say, you know what, I'm just going to do what's best for me. And did you, did you see what it said? If these men leave the boat, you're, gonna be, you're all going to get lost. When we jump ship on our faith, it not only affects us, but it affects the church and the people around us. We are to stay in the boat. We're to cling to God's word, not under pretense, but in faith. Finally, Christ is our aim as long as it's called today. Verse 33. As day was about to dawn, Paul urged them all to take some food, saying, Today is the 14th day that you have continued in suspense and without food, having taken nothing. Can you believe that? This has been a fight for 14 days. Therefore, I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength, for not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. When he had said these things, he took bread and gave thanks to God in the presence of all. He broke it and began to eat. You see what he did there? In the midst of the trial, in the midst of the storm, he gives complete honor and credit and worship to God in their presence. As long as it's today, we 
are to give credit to God. As long as it's today. Then they all were encouraged and ate some food themselves. We were all, we were in all 276 persons in the ship. And when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship, throwing out the wheat into the sea. Chapter 28. After we were brought safely through, we then learned that the island was called Malta. The native people showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and welcomed us all because it had begun to rain and it was cold. Let's stop right there. As we see from chapter 27 into 28, eventually the ship does run aground, as Paul has said. It's broken up. Many of the men swim. Many of the men probably cling to pieces of wood and float until they get to shore. And sure enough, every single man, all 276 of them, reach safely. And they are welcomed by people who were not on their journey. They're welcomed by people that God knew needed to hear the gospel. And they were welcoming them to their island because it was cold and it was raining and they just got out of the ocean and it was November. Can you imagine having fought a storm for 14 days, having not eaten very much, washing up on shore in November in the rain and being welcomed with a warm fire and some food? Wow. You see, the storm came, but God knew. And God was going to use that storm to put them in a position to share their faith with a people who were called barbarians. The natives of Malta were called barbarians. Can you believe that? Because Greeks considered anybody who wasn't Greek or Jewish to be a barbarian. And what's interesting is these barbarians are far from it. They're very hospitable. Actually, Barbarians should never be more hospitable than believers. If we have Christ in us, we should be the most hospitable, loving people that anyone comes in contact with. But as we see here, it's kind of flipped. The barbarians welcome them in. Hebrews 13, 16 says, Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Verse 3. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened to his hand. When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man's a murderer. Though he escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up and suddenly fall down dead. <laughs> but when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said, he must be a god. I just think that's interesting. In my mind, I see them all watching him. Is he going to just swell up and die? Like, what is going to happen to him? Well, nothing happens to him. And the reason is, karma's not in control. Christ is. In fact, there's no such thing as karma. Karma's not in the Bible. Christ is, and he is in control. These pagans, they believed something was going to happen when nothing happened. They then began to believe that he must be a god. 
But this is truly what God had spoken about in Mark 16, 15 through 18. And he said to them, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpents with their hands. And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick, and they will recover. And this is exactly what Paul does. Disciples steward the tempest, the trials, and today as an opportunity to share Christ. Verse 7. Now in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the chief man of the island named Publius, who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. It happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery. And Paul visited him and prayed and putting his hands on him, healed him. And when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. They also honored us greatly. And when we were about to sail, they put on board whatever we needed. How does this story end right here before he begins his journey again towards Rome? It begins with Paul saying, you know what, today I can steward my opportunities to share Christ. Church, I don't know where you are. I don't know if you're in a storm. I don't know if you're grieving. I don't know if you're sick. I don't know if you feel lost. I don't know if you feel lonely. I don't know if the last year has just been one event after event after event and you feel like you're throwing things overboard trying to stay afloat. I don't know if you have decisions right now that you're trying to make and you're trying to decide if it's God's word and his will or my will and my emotions on what the decision you're trying to make. I don't know where you are. But I do know you have today. We all have today. And we need to use it and steward it for the glory of God because he is directing our path into people's lives who desperately need to hear the good news. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we come to you. Thank you so much for your word. We would ask God that you would use our lives for your glory. Father, we again, we thank you that you're in complete control. We thank you that we have an assurance that you have gone before us. You're the forerunner of our salvation. Father, we thank you that in the trials of life that we can cling to your word, that we can find hope and assurance of our salvation, and we can find wisdom to apply to our life. And Father, when we feel utterly out of control, help us to use where you have us today to share our hope with someone else. Father, I pray your blessing over your church. I pray your blessing over each and every person. Comfort them with your spirit and lead us in obedience. In Christ's name, amen. Will you stand? Will you respond?